0: Uh, there is often a meme that gets said in these debates around identity politics that gets very intense of recent and it is all politics is identity politics everyone from ezra klein from vox to eleanor penny of Navarra media says this as a response to you know, what they feel is unfair malignment of movements that seek to defend minority rights <coughs> Now on the face of it, this is an understandable response since many of the peop- many critics of identity politics do so for rather tendentious reasons. But I think this uh, meme is wrong on its face. So I want to begin with a critique of this critique and reassert the need for challenging identity politics, giving a materialist critique of it and reassert the need for a new universalist, emancipatory class politics. Now, of course, identities are important to human beings. They give us a sense of ourselves, our place in our world, and help form our relationships with others. Human identities are, of course, very complicated, exist on multiple levels, and sometimes can be quite contradictory, which is one of the pitfalls of identity essentialism by isolating one aspect of our various identities and making it politically determinative. Politics, in my view, or at least should be about not reinforcing one's own particular identity, but of taking one beyond it and making common cause with others to achieve a common goal. Now... When we talk about identity politics, there are two ways to refer to it. One is an old tradition that goes back all the way to the 18th century with the birth of modern politics itself. It was developed developed during the counter-enlightenment by the reactionary right against Enlightenment universalism and the revolutionary fire of the French Revolution, which they felt would disintegrate and destroy traditional identities and religious solidarities. They opposed humanism and universalism in the name of particularist values. You can see this in Edmund Burke's um, criticisms of the idea of the rights of man, which he felt was invalid. Or in uh, the French arch reactionary, Joseph de Maistre, who said, there is no such thing as man. I've seen Frenchmen, Italians, and Russians. As for man, I've never come across him anywhere. It was this worldview that helped form the basis of romantic nationalism modern and modern racism. This, you may say, is the original identity politics. Now, there's another form of identity politics that is more recent, and I think this is what most people talk about now when they refer to identity politics. It grew out of the post-war era, but really um, became a force in the 1960s. In many ways is different to the old identity politics of the reactionary right, namely because it was a child of the left, broadly speaking, and it was wielded in opposition to racism and colonialism, not in support of it as the reactionary right did. It was also a critique of the old left, and it's what they saw as its blindness or even hostility to questions of race, gender, and sexuality. In this respect, the black power movement in the United States was highly influential in developing notions of identity and self-organisation that would be taken up by other oppressed groups especially when they found themselves squeezed between an oppressive society on the one hand and a left or mainstream left largely indifferent to their plight. Identity politics almost seems rational in this uh, predicament. Now it wasn't I would say that this form of identity politics, it wasn't all bad. At the time, it did provide a means of challenging repression and was at least, at least linked to a broader goal of social transformation and confronting capitalism. However, as a result of multiple factors over the decades, such as the disintegration of old social movements, the cultural turn, the rise of the politics of difference, and the decline of the left and the class politics identity became an end in itself, with its radicalism defanged, and it, in many ways it has been co-opted to what you know, Nancy Fraser called progressive neoliberalism, where you know, the mainstream can uh, co-opt or adopt certain rhetoric about anti-racism, feminism, and gay rights while largely keeping intact the very structures that produce these oppressions in the first place. So the question then before us is not whether we should challenge, actually another point about identity politics is the problem with it is that um, in the end it doesn't get to the root of the oppression and can very easily be used in a way that produces um, so-called community spokespeople or what Adolf Fried called racial spokespeople, who may speak on behalf of an oppressed group, will actually support policies and ideas that actually oppress this group. So the question is not whether we should challenge oppression, but how we should do it. And I do not believe contemporary identity politics gets to the root of the oppression. And it's very important to emphasize the root of the oppression. So what of class struggle? Um, I'm reminded by this quote by C.L.R. James, which I think captures the nuance and tight line we have to walk. And he says, The race question is subsidiary to the class question in politics, and to think of imperialism in terms of race is disastrous. But to neglect the racial factor as merely incidental is an error only less grave than to make it fundamental. So, which I think this points towards us that in our approach we have to avoid two fallacies one is economism which is to reduce everything to economics or bread and butter issues and um, neglect important political struggles and workerism which in my view is just reproduces the same dynamics of identity politics and doesn't actually um, uh, get to the root of the issue and we have to assert that class is fundamental, not because the international working class are the most oppressed group, or even, or even the most exploited, but because, but because of its relationship to capital and production, it is in a position where it can transform society at its roots. So, the self-emancipation of the working class, which is the goal of socialism, is is an act in which both male and female, whites and non-white, and those of all sexual orientations will take part in, to create a class politics that is based on freedom and autonomy and to emancipate all of humanity without distinction of race and sex. If we can do this, we might get somewhere.
1: I'll try not to um, tread too much on Rouse's toes. Obviously, we prepared these separately, and there isn't the technology in place uh, to actually coordinate this. Um, but what have you. Fa- failure on our part, but here we go. Um, I want to come at these sorts of questions. Um, so my, my sort of personal background is, I have been, you know, involved in, in, like, the NUS. So I've seen into the belly of the beast.
0: Um,
1: <laughs> of identity politics. Um, but I want to talk a bit about a kind of materialist explanation or, or at least in part a bit of an explanation about where, like, how this has come into place, sort of building on what um, Ralph said, um, what positives we can take forward from contemporary um, liberal identity politics and, you know, how to, how to distinguish, distinguish our critique from... Um, from reactionary critiques of both the left and the right. Um, so I think with the development of early capitalism, you know, this, this great mover of, of labour power and labourers from uh, communities in which they had grown up all their lives, there was very little geographical movement, um, generation by generation, you know, strong sense of um, like communal identity and and kind of belonging uh, but with with this development um, of capitalism and people being taken from from the countryside to to work in cities you know people like workers in cornwall being like shipped up to manchester uh, to work in the wool uh, industry um, this this kind of sense of identity has to be well yeah has to be filled in some way and the most common way in which um, like ruling class ideology uh, pushed for this uh, was through nationalist um, ideology and a sense of national identity um, to sort of keep some level of of satisfaction. Um, um, I think this is still largely the basis for what we might call um, like right-wing identity politics. Obviously there's, you know. the the rise of the populist right. It's quite strongly identitarian, um, but it's identitarian based on, you know, in this country, like white English, white British um, nationalism. Um, Identity politics on the left, as as Ralph alluded to, developed itself, um, has its roots in the the black feminist movement uh, in the 1960s and 70s. but since then, you know, since these these more radical roots, uh, it's taken um, it's it's taken a turn towards um, you know much more atomized, individualist um, concerns of of identity, uh, rather than um, concerns we might have of of different groups on a collective basis. Um, so I think this form of identity politics sees um, the key, the key factor at play uh, as what, what, what is referred to as, as lived experience. Um, I think there's, there's several quite glaring problems with, with this framework of how we look at um, politics and how we look at um, the, the liberation of, of marginalized groups. I think firstly, it ends up um, draining most of the, the, the political content um, from from political movements um, and this idea that you know by your very existence that is resistance uh, that that's a recipe for inaction and just existing <laughs> <laughs> which you know is fine as far as it goes um, so i don't think it's obviously i don't think it's entirely without value some people. That may be important for some people, but I don't think it offers any any path towards emancipation. So I think another quite good illustration of how limited this framework is, is if you look at the question of of Israel-Palestine, you've got two national groups. um, Jewish people are oppressed, Palestinian Arabs are oppressed, their lived experience, for the most part, has led them to the conclusion of Israeli-Jewish chauvinism and nationalism or um, Arab nationalism. And it's certainly my view that neither of these offers um, uh, offers a progressive solution to this conflict. And so it's incumbent upon... Socialists and people on the left uh, to come above, like instinctual, instinctual um, uh, reactions to this, based on lived experience, um, and not adopt wholesale the political programmes of some some sections of marginalised groups. Um, I think this also uh, this approach treats marginalised groups as Monolithic um, ignores debates that may be happening within uh, self-organising bodies that exist um, for and in those groups. Um, to take one example, you know, like many women in Alabama may well support restrictions on reproductive freedom. I don't think that leads us to the conclusion that, as socialists, we should support. Um, limits for reproductive freedom based on, you know, what some people of a certain identity may want. So we should, we should offer a sober, objective analysis of the situation and come to our own conclusions. Um, I think it's obviously clear that people who are more marginalized uh, by the rest of society for whatever reason do tend towards a sense of common identity, um, with identitarian ties uh, in my view being stronger when conditions are in fact worse um, though requiring a, a certain level of, of mi- minimum, um, minimum freedoms in order to you know, organise themselves and exist openly and freely um, so taking the example of uh, the movement for LGBT rights I think that there was if you look at the look at the history of lgbt rights lgbt communal ties i think were stronger in the mid to late 20th century when things were objectively worse things are in my view much better now but there is less for community and that's you know it's a a worthwhile trade in my view but uh yeah um So we have an approach um, that effectively in identity politics places people in hierarchies of identity uh, on an atomized individualist basis and causes people to, um, so as uh, Assad Haider explains in his book uh, Mistaken Identities, he draws on uh, Wendy Brown's idea of wounded attachments uh, where people become invested in their own marginalization as a source of identity, and continuously enact that identity as a form of politics. And he argues that this approach um, can extract occasional concessions uh, from the system in which people exist, uh, but cannot build um, the power necessary to transform it. So as Marxists and as revolutionary socialists, I think we should be concerned, concerned with identity and the way differences in identities interact within society. We should however seek to um, understand where it is that they come from in order to fight them. Um, the Marxist view that sexism, racism, and homophobia, etc., have their basis in class society, not necessarily exclusive to capitalism, but often taking particular forms with the development of capitalism. Um, we shouldn't fall into this kind of vulgar as Ralph said like economism um, this idea that some groups on the left you know common phrase is to say that you'll deal with things after the revolution so to speak I think that falls short of what we need to do and it uh, it ignores the role that class actually plays in underpinning these, um, these other oppressions. So class sits as a basis of these oppressions and they cannot be separated out from class society as a whole. Um, I think this counterposed to another increasingly prominent phenomenon on the British left, um, which is attempting to consider class through the lens of just another identity which you claim to hold. Uh, this is kind of typified by campaigns at Oxford and Cambridge uh, for a working-class officer, liberation officer, uh, to represent working-class students, uh, treating it as a as an identity, much like being a woman, being gay, etc. So, you know, obviously, it's it's true that there are cultural influences on what class people conceive themselves to be. Um, but class exists fundamentally as a relationship between people and the means of production. Uh, regional accents and whether you like the opera or not don't actually change that fact.
0: Um,
1: <laughs> class is a fundamental relation, uh, fundamentally different relationship uh, to that of the relationship between uh, sexes, genders, uh, races, and sexualities, and so on. Um, I don't think that... To take an example, um, all all straight people are necessarily actively abetting the oppression of gay people, but I think it very much is the case that, like the way that capitalism is structured, means that, by necessity, for the system to work and operate as it does work, um, you know, you, you it cannot exist without active oppression of wage labourers. Um, so I think that's that's. A key difference there. Key difference there. Um, so I think in this way it, reach, it really reaches class, really reaches the core of social relations in a much more substantial way uh, than other kinds of oppression that tend to happen exactly because of the way economic life is structured. Um, with the family unit, for example, being both historically necessary uh, for capital's continued expansion and leading to the subservient position of women under capitalism. Uh, So I think in terms of an alternative to identity politics, we should advocate for a class-based approach uh, to questions of oppression and human freedom uh, whilst rejecting a simplistic, atomized hierarchy of oppressions.